Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you don't have to share your snacks. It is February, and our selection this month is Come and Get It by Kylie Reed. It is about Millie, an RA at the University of Arkansas, Agatha, a teacher at the school who's writing a book about young people and money, and Kennedy, Tyler, and Peyton, three girls who share a dorm room next to Millie. This is your spoiler warning. If you do not want to know what happens in this book and you haven't read it, you should go back and listen to our spoiler-free author interview. It is in the feed, and then you can come back when you're ready. I am so excited to introduce you to my guests for this one. We have Erin Allen. She's the afternoon host of the WBEZ podcast, The Rundown. Erin, hello. Thank you. Happy to be here. Also here is Adora Namigade. She is a reporter and the morning host of The Rundown. Adora, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have made it to this episode. Okay, so I think we should start with a listener voice memo. Let's dig in with Becky in Connecticut. I felt like it was so fitting that Kylie talked about how there's just this kind of undercurrent of dread in her novels because I definitely felt that throughout reading this book. I saw the parallels of that feeling with Such a Fun Age, which I had also read and really loved. Come and Get It knows exactly how to get my anxiety going, just a bunch of decisions that are kind of problematic and then end up leading to awful consequences that you don't expect. I have to say this book made me feel like Chidi from The Good Place with the stomach ache inducing anxiety over the choices that some of these characters made. Oh my gosh. That was a poetic comment though. (laughs) Right? So Erin, I'm especially curious to hear from you because I have a feeling this is a book that you wouldn't normally read. Is that a fair assumption or not necessarily? It's true. It's true. (laughs) There were no fairies, no spaceships, but But this was an interesting book. It was like I feel like I have not been in touch with myself as an anxious person. Oh. I always decide that I'm not anxious, <laughs> even though I do get anxious. Yeah. And so I think like this didn't really trigger the, the like anxiety, social anxiety component didn't trigger me too much when I was reading it. Because I think I like pushed that part of myself <laughs> down and act like it ain't happening. <laughs> but um, I... It, you know, the imp- the empath, the empathetic person mm. in me did kind of, you know, really feel bad for Kennedy, mm. um, feel bad for the RAs and the people who work in housing, mm. because that was another thing. I actually was an RA in college. Oh. And um, it's, it's, you know, if you let it stress you out, it, it will take you there. Yeah. Right. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah. Ooh. Okay. I definitely want to talk about um, empathy more because I think that's a really interesting experience with reading this book is like who we do and maybe don't have empathy for. Um, but first, Adora, full disclosure, 
Um, we once went out to breakfast and then wandered over to a bookstore afterwards. And did I pressure you into buying Kylie Reed's first book no. then? Or did I just tell you I liked you, it? Do you remember? You are much kinder than you remember. You told me about the book and then you said, I have a copy and I'll put it on your desk. Oh, nice. Wow. That's wonderful. So yeah, especially since you read uh, such a fun age, Adora. How do you think this one compares? Because I remember you saying you liked that one a lot. Oh, yeah. No, these books were so thrilling for me, both of them. I was just like, okay, I need to do my reading, my 20 pages a day so I can get through. But then I finished like a week early. So I was reading more pages than I had to per day in order to meet the deadline for our pod recording. Um, yeah, I mean, it was very entertaining. But like Becky said, okay, in that voicemail, I was stressed mm. out, but I wasn't like personally experiencing the dread myself it was just like i was mm. watching a soap opera almost and i was like uh-huh Ooh, yeah what are you guys doing well i feel like with both of her books like a word i would use to describe them is juicy because there is this feeling you know like she gets the dialogue so well yes. that it like it, you just get to and like the fact that there is literally eavesdropping in this yes. one too, which is yes. stressful but it's also like you just kind of get to sit there and like watch what's gonna right. happen you all know? your gossipy mm-hmm. dreams are fulfilled by reading this novel for sure <laughs> yeah yes. so one thing I found myself thinking about is like you know I mentioned it takes place largely at least on a college campus but it doesn't really feel to me much like a campus novel and I was trying to unpack why that is and I was curious if y'all got that sense too I mean especially Aaron like given the fact that you were an RA like there's definitely the RA drama. There's like so much interpersonal stuff happening, but you don't get a lot of like, oh shit, I'm accidentally failing biology or whatever. You know what I mean? I wonder if it's, yes, I agree. And I wonder if it's because, first of all, these are not freshmen. Mm. So I feel like the college novel, in my memory and the things that I've come across, like it often is like, oh, the freshman angst, you know, people are like just entering college. They're getting accustomed to things. The things that they worry about and think about are very much college, college campus oriented. Um, and like the coming of age that is being a college student. And I feel like once you get to age 20, 21, mm-hmm. 24, mm-hmm. once you get to being a professor, yeah, you know, these are people who are living their lives um, outside of that early stages of college time. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe is why it feels like less oriented around, um, yeah, like class professors, uh, what the professor thinks of me. It's like, no, I am the professor or <laughs> no, I am old enough to be a leader <laughs> for these students. I agree. This was definitely grown people stuff because we had like three main characters, two of them. I mean, one of them, Millie, is 24, right? And She's just finishing to finish, but she's out here buying a house. Okay. Like she's grown. She has grown people concerns. Agatha is getting divorced. So that's very much a grown people thing. Okay. Not most college students are going through that. Hopefully Kennedy was the only one who was like really dealing with collegiate stuff. Yeah, that's true. But even her trajectory, I feel like it's so like outside the norm of what, you know, sort of like you think of with like a typical young person college experience that I could see the argument that like she has arguably gone through more than she should have at that age too, right? Yes. You know, what's interesting too is that Kennedy is what, maybe three, three, four years younger than Millie. Mm -hmm. Kennedy has gone through this like public ridicule situation that's changed her so much, right? And then Millie starts to approach approach this 
type of public ridicule, possible public ridicule situation mm. as well. I remember getting to that point of the story and like, okay, Millie, she she doing some stuff. She ain't got no business. No, I was sweating at that point. I was like, okay, these people, what's going to happen to you? Okay. She Woo. over here smooching and necking and she's supposed to be on duty. She didn't check the phone. She got this perfect. The one day you didn't check the phone. Oof. Ooh, that's exactly. always what happens too you're like guilty and that happened to me too one time somebody had sleep apnea they no. messed around and had a moment couldn't breathe <gasps> you know in that time you call 911 but some people called they called a duty phone oh, wow and it was the one day that I had left the phone I was on my rounds oh, and I had left the phone in my room by mistake oh my gosh especially because it was and by I got mistake. back it was all these calls at least you weren't doing something inappropriate right <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> well, but yeah, so then we get to this point where Millie, all these things have gone wrong. There has to be reports, right. definitely incident reports, but the doctors are there, the parents. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh no, she's about to have a Kennedy moment. Mm, interesting to draw a parallel between them. Yeah, I didn't think about yeah. that. Yeah. No, that's true. I was happy for Millie that she didn't get busted from that whole thing. Because even though, and it's this hard thing too of like, she is an adult technically like she's 24 but also there was a power differential in her relationship with agatha so it's like yes you know i don't i don't want her to have her life ruined over this affair oh so stressful i'm stressed out just thinking about it again um we got a voicemail about millie and agatha let's listen to it this is bethany from maryland i love and look forward to the monthly book club pick and this month was no different Although I found myself at times wanting to scream at Agatha and Millie, what are you thinking? But I do know at certain times in my life, I made some mistakes myself, although not to the scale of Agatha and Millie. It just was so hard to read, but I do think it was a great book and made me think. I did want to scream too. I mean, especially as a journalist, the Agatha oh, stuff no. is like that had me triggered. You know, Ooh, I was like, I would be fired. I would be fired. Uh-uh. Yeah, no, that's not like that is deeply unethical on like several different layers. And I think Adora, to your point, also like there's such a real power dynamic between those two that like, and it shifts sometimes. I think like Millie has some when it comes to some of the sexy stuff, but like for the most part, Agatha is extremely in charge. And it is deeply troubling. I think just because so much is at stake for Millie, you know, and then it's like, oh my God, Millie, like don't fuck this up with this like very bad decision that you're making. Right. You know, and Agatha could literally pay her way out of it. Right. Yeah. Which she did. And she and did. I right. Think, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and paid Millie's way out of it and just got, got everybody out of it. Good for her and her wealth. Um, but, you know, one thing I really appreciated, it was two points. In, in that whole explosion that I really appreciated. Mm. And this was the dialogue. The first one was when Robin confronted Agatha oh, and the way yeah. that we mm-hmm. eased into that confrontation. And then Agatha was like, she's not white and couldn't spit it out because then she realized, oh, <laughs> I didn't came up here and exploited this black girl, her body, and her life story and her job, this was just totally, I mean, the way that she was so defensive before she got to that minute, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second part was when she goes and breaks things off and gives um, Millie all the money, the down payment for the house, 
And Millie is verbally processing her ambivalence around, like, you have been a very trash person to me, but I still, like, want to go with you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, like, she's over <laughs> it know. already. And Millie's like, oh, wait, I'm just, like, realizing that this is over. Like, and I kind of really do have actual authentic feelings for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was an important moment for Millie to really grapple with what she, how, the ways that she has, like, allowed this person to hurt her and uh, ways that she's hurt herself. It's just tough, though, because I was thinking, like, even with the journalism stuff and making up those filling in the blanks with the details that the author preferred for these interviews. Right. Which is unethical. If we've established like Millie doesn't necessarily understand journalistic ethics, because even like me as a reporter, I really try to when I'm talking to my sources, let them know, hey, this is what I'm using this information for. When you say these things like I am going to quote you like I really try to expose them to the process because otherwise they don't know. But Millie doesn't understand. Like she doesn't understand the rules. It's real. So uh, I want to go back to Kennedy a little bit because I thought her story was really interesting. Um, Here is a voicemail from Lindsay in New Jersey. I love this book so much. I spent most of the first part of the book having all this sympathy for Kennedy because I remember that feeling of not fitting in when you first get to college and like your roommates or floor mates are all bonding and you're not. And then when she introduces the satellite grief book, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this poor girl killed someone and now she has this weird codependent relationship with her mom. I can't even. So when I found out that it was a dog, I was so taken aback. I mean, I love dogs and all. I have a dog. He's the best. But the fact that she had to basically create a new identity for accidentally killing a dog was wild. So bravo for that twist, Kylie (laughs) Reid. I loved it. Oh, my goodness. So did y'all see that? come? I forget who it was who I was talking to who was like, oh, the minute that satellite grief book showed up, I knew that Kennedy had done something terrible. And I was like, oh, wow, you read that much more closely than I did. Right. No, I didn't. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I did not see it coming. Yeah. I just thought she was like, de- like, I think my struggle with following her character um, was like, OK, is she just dealing with general like depression And then Mm -hmm. now, having learned about the dog stuff, I'm like, okay, is she dealing with PTSD? Like, what exactly is she dealing with? Because I felt so frustrated when, like, she made friends with that person in her lecture hall, Shay, I think her name was. Mm -hmm. And they're supposed to go to a party together. I'm like, Kennedy, this is it. This is your moment. I'm rooting for you. You've been complaining about not having friends. You're at a new place. You're at a new campus. You don't know anyone. This is your moment. And then she just ditched her and went to Target. And I was like. I know, the Target (laughs) thing. I was like, so how am I supposed to feel was- right now? Because I just felt like bad yeah. for her, but it was also her fault. Like, I just really yeah. didn't know how to feel. Well, yeah, I think the empathy, especially for that character, was really interesting because, I mean, and I talked to Kylie about this too because I thought it was really interesting. Like, we don't get that backstory for a while, right? So for a lot of the book, she is just a weirdo. She's got a lot of stuff. She talks to her mom all the time. It's really hard to get a sense of who she is and why she is the way she is. And... I think it's really like by the time you find out, it's a really interesting time to find that out because then it's like, do you revise your opinion of her or does she just like keep letting you down by, you know, going to Target instead of meeting people? Yes. Did you generally feel sympathy for most of the characters in this book? Okay, I generally felt sympathy for Millie throughout. Like that's the person I had the most empathy to give to. Same. And then Kennedy for the first half, until she ditched the girl 
Shay to go to Target. Mm. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know. I felt conflicted. I didn't like not like her, but I just felt very conflicted because I was like, you're bringing this upon yourself, but also like yeah. maybe you're just in a really bad mental state and right. can't. Yeah, it's hard. Do better, it's hard. You know? It's hard. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. Agatha, I was just like, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm not sure I had any sympathy for Agatha. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I did appreciate the Agatha Robin storyline. I was yeah. like, that was when I really mm. tapped in. The book yes. felt a little mundane to me up until that point. And I was like, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing? Interesting. What's everybody doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and then we get to Agatha and I'm like, oh, there's an adult love relationship happening here. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, I'm here for this. It's queer. It's complicated. Yeah. It's, oh, these two tall ladies and they got their, <laughs> right? like, bickering like that they model do. dancer. That's hot. You're yeah. like, oh, <laughs> Yes, was a da- yeah exactly, and like somebody and they're you know, in Chicago. She she's that was cool too. And, yes, yeah, true. Yeah, they're naming also, all these places. Yeah, like oh, I know where that is. I can literally imagine yeah. where you are right now. How fun! <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I was kind of in in that stage of the book. I was going back and forth between having empathy for Agatha versus Robin. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes I was on Robin's side, sometimes I was on Agatha's side. I didn't necessarily feel empathy for Robin. Mm. Like I didn't. It wasn't like any hatred toward her, but I was just like, you kind of financially sloppy. No, I hear you. I thought I did think Robin was tough. I mean, the whole I think it's I think her framework was so different as a freelancer. I think I felt some empathy for her just because I know that like it's more difficult to make plans. And, you know, you just don't have the financial reliability that I think. Agatha was probably expecting. That makes sense. But also, I mean, we have that scene when they go to that wedding or whatever. And it's like, how does it go? The hotel falls through or whatever. And Agatha ends up having, you know, or like they wanted to stay with a friend or it's just like that stuff gets messy so fast. And I would have been really frustrated by that too. That makes sense actually. I think there's like a, it ends up feeling like if, if Robin isn't making plans like that or isn't like trying to figure out solutions, it comes off as really inconsiderate. And then, and knowing that Agatha's just going to do it is like, that sucks. You know, like that's not fair. That's, an imbalance that is, yeah. But then also what you said about um, Agatha kind of having this financial expectation because her job pays out normally and her job is higher wage and stuff. I, I can see how there's a difference in how you approach things. Yeah. Based on how much you make and then at what interval you're making the money. So that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And like what your practices were growing up you know, we don't know. We don't get the backstory of either of them of like how they grew up and how they dealt with money, money true. how their parents Very dealt with true. money. Like, you know, for me, my empathy was mostly, yeah, like Robin's habits were annoying and she wasn't being considerate. But Agatha had expectations and we did not agree upon mm-hmm. those expectations when we entered into this, you know. And so while you sent up here, you know, trying to put these expectations on me. Um, I never I, said I was like I didn't, that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I never, we never said I was going to do all that. Yeah, I do think that's a big part of it is that it seems like Agatha like expects a certain standard of living and, um, and it's not necessarily fair to, and like, I think to a large extent, Robin seemed to enjoy that, but there's also an imposition of that where it's not like, should we move into apartment an apartment that we could both afford, you know, where you could cover half the rent or like maybe we shouldn't go out to these fancy dinners all the time that are like impossible for you to be able to chip in on or whatever. You know, it's like it seemed like those sorts of compromises weren't happening. And then it's like, of course, that's going to get really, you know, everybody's going to resent everybody. Right. And that's true. She kind of if she wanted to maintain the lifestyle, she would almost have to be like the classic patriarch 
Right. Exactly. It's like, are like, you providing I'm or right? You know, or even a conversation around like, at what point do you think you could afford to help with this mortgage or whatever? It just seemed like none of that was happening. And then it's yeah. like, well, yeah, of course it's going to get weird. And money is the number one cause for a divorce. It's real. Okay, let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with more of our conversation on Come and Get It in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Okay, let's listen to another voice memo. This is Allie in Germany. In the author interview, Kylie Reed talked about her penchant for details, and she is truly skilled at characterization. So many details made me smile and were just strange enough to feel realistic and um, resist stereotypes. All of the young women she writes about in this book are fully realized characters with depth and specificity, which is an incredible feat given the large cast of characters. Um, and none of them are all good or all bad. I, I liked that kind of nuance and ambiguity. I think it would have been really easy to fall into stereotype given the Southern college setting, but uh, Reed really writes with so much care and even when the characters are making questionable choices. But in general, I really love the way that the novel balances ridiculousness and earnestness and makes room for a lot of different complicated versions of womanhood. I love that. I You both are nodding. I, that's great. I do think there's the ridiculousness and earnestness is such a fun way of putting that. And I do think that's something I love about Kylie's writing in general is that it's like, it's so smart. It also just feels kind of like candy, but we're yes. also like actually wrestling with some pretty serious shit most of the time, you know? Yeah. Like twins are dumb. <laughs> and that she dug her heels in. God, I completely forgot about Tyler was so annoying. Uh, that was funny. I loved Peyton too. Like, she was just funny. She was funny. Peyton was like, if you will get these dishes. Right. <laughs> I'm putting them on your bed. Look, and she was just, oh my gosh. you know, she's just weird but honest. Mm, okay. Yeah. Like, it wasn't yeah. malicious. Yeah. We don't get a nuanced Tyler. We get a conniving, out of touch, cutesy. Yeah. Says racist things. A little mean girl energy. Yes. A little Regina George inspiration. Yes. It's giving mean yes. girl energy. I thought it was really interesting. Kylie called her socially muscular. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is such an interesting phrasing. Because she does, I mean, speaking of power, like she's she's there. She she's influence. holding it most of the time. Yeah. It's it's giving like and all of her fabrications, Agatha does call this out, which I, it's giving she seems like she's gonna become a Karen. You know, like I just I just can like see it happening. Um, and Karen's are very manipulative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have one more voicemail that I would love to listen to that kind of introduces the ending, which we can talk through a little more. Hey, Nerdette, this is Sam from Brooklyn, and I am sharing my thoughts on Come and Get It by Kylie Reed. I really enjoyed the beginning part of the novel 
the commentary on class and kind of like you said Greta in the interview with Kylie Reed the the sense of foreboding that like something bad was gonna happen but then the something bad happened and it lost me it felt like she didn't know how to end it so it was just deus ex pizza cutter it just went flying through the air to end the narrative and it's not like she didn't foreshadow it that pizza cutter kept coming out we kept it was Chekhov's pizza cutter but i don't know it was just it was too much <laughs> oh my goodness i am curious what y'all thought of the ending. I mean, I think to a certain extent, I don't know. Let's, I would love to hear what y'all have to say first. Erin, you have a look on your face. I had the exact opposite <laughs> feeling. I was like, again, are we going to get to it with this book? Because this is a lot of character building and that's great. And I, I okay, I see the relationships. I get it. What is the point mm. <laughs> of mm-hmm. all of these people? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that is when I got excited. My heart was beating. I'm like, I am here for this. More of this. Oh but, you know, gosh. I'm I'm like the science fiction fantasy type. So I like the I like the events. You want I high like the stakes. action. Yeah. Yeah. I like the high stakes. Yeah. Exactly. I was ready. So, Adora, what did you think of it? I enjoyed the buildup throughout the book. Um, and from having read Such a Fun Age, I was like, OK, these characters are all going to have to cross paths in like some really crazy random way that I don't know yet. And so I enjoyed that suspense. And then mm-hmm. when we reached the climactic action, I was just like, oof, wow, I was torn. I mean, when I finished the book, I was just like, Agatha, you got off scotch free. You just paid your way out. OK. <sighs> yeah. Um, But it's not like I wanted harm to befall her either. Yeah, I guess to a certain extent that was you could call that benevolent. Like she, you know, she did like facilitate a positive outcome for Millie, which was important. She looked out for Millie Um, for sure. I do think it's like, I think the conclusion was interesting because it was just as messy as the rest of everything that happened, which I thought tracked with the book and with how things go is like, you know, it felt natural. Like it didn't feel like, Oh, like Kylie Reed is just trying to do this. I Mm -hmm. guess like it felt like it made sense based on the, storylines we had been seeing so far. Yeah, totally. So Aaron, were you like, I'm curious about, you know, the way you had described sort of like before that happened, you're like, what are we doing here? Like, did the book end up working for you overall? Or do you wish it had like done more of something earlier on? The book worked. It worked. It worked for me. I think it took a minute, you know, but, you know, I was like, all right, maybe I need to check myself and patient to the virtues. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you know, and- I really love the race commentary. I love how it was mentioned at times, not like a person's race was mentioned at times. It wasn't mentioned at other times. We didn't lead with what this person's race was. You know, we just kind of find out later. Yeah, it wasn't your face. It was just like a natural part of the story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that makes this book distinct to me. Mm. One of the other main things about this book that worked for me is what that caller said, which was the specifics and the detail. I literally was like, how many years were you an RA? (laughs) you know, about the author, you know, just because like, I mean, that was my life for at least two years in college. And there were no lies told. I I believed it, Hmm. you know, like everything felt very accurate. Um, So yeah, I appreciated that. It definitely worked for me. 
the word I keep thinking of to describe this book is uneven. And I'm not quite sure exactly why I don't, I found such a fun age to be so incisive. And this one felt a little more like, I'm not quite sure what we're getting at. And I do wonder how much of that actually had to do with some of the conversations between the RAs where they're all just sort of like hanging out. I definitely didn't enjoy this one as much as such a fun age, but maybe enjoying isn't the point either. You know, (laughs) the point is the existential dread. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, she definitely pulled something off in this one, you know, you know what? I felt like the, the time that the RAs spent together was, and again, this could be just my like experience as an RA, but like those times that you have when you're, technically working but you get to have your comrades and like Mm. build community and connect like those are such great relief Mm. and um you know I mean being an RA is not like doing heart surgery or like some type of high extremely stressful you know situation but it can be Mm. um like low level stress (laughs) you know continued low level stress and like just to kick it you know, it felt nice. And I think I liked watching the rapport build between Millie um, and, and her co-RAs, um, even though it was cringy at times because that girl was like, she kept criticizing other people for how they were treating Millie. But I'm like, you got Millie doing all your right. work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know? Like, that's racist. That's um, racist. Then, but also, I'm just going to yeah, sit like, over here. <laughs> um, okay. So before I let y'all go, I would love to know what you would recommend if or like, I don't know, a book that you think is sort of in conversation with this one or something else that you think people would like if they liked this. It could be even like a song or a beverage, which we got last time, which was delightful. Um, really, it's anything at all. Aaron, do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely Mean Girls. I mean, <laughs> and- classic. <laughs> yes. Really. Yes. Um, the book, the other black girl, I feel like could possibly be in conversation with this. I can see that. It's, yeah, it's like people, you know, in an institutional setting and is dealing with race, you know, is dealing with class, is dealing with, um, yeah, some of the same, some of the same themes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And is also like very modern, I think, which has that feeling with this one too. Also, also. Adora, what do you think? Okay, my recommendation's a little more avant-garde. Okay, hear me out. Great. Um, This week I heard an Italian singer at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Ravenswood. Okay. And he Uh had a song that made me think of this book. Wow. The song was called The Arkansas Traveler. It is a great song. That's so funny. And it just made me think... I think Agatha would like this. Agatha, for all her flaws, has very refined, mm. sharp tastes that I would like to indulge in. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. song is one one such taste, okay? Bring the elegant romance of this Italian advanced guitarist with the sweet southern sounds of Arkansas. It's this song. <laughs> it's on Spotify. <laughs> That's delightful. I love that. I think my two recommendations would be Such a Fun Age, Kylie's first book, which I adored very much. Really good. Um, And then the other one that is very different, but I think is similar also is one that I just finished and it's called The Knockout Queen. It's by Rufy Thorpe and it doesn't do much race stuff at all, but it does do a lot of class stuff and 
it reminds me of Come and Get It because I think they're both books. Well, for one, they do that combination of like earnestness and absurdity really well, which I love. Um, And I think also like the, just the messiness of it all. And that like, I think they both really beautifully capture that idea of like, there is a moment like you there, the line has been crossed, you know? And I think you could argue and come and get it. It happens a couple of times where like something happens and you're like, Oh, there's no going back from this, you know? And I think that's really narratively interesting. And I think that's something that, that happens a lot in the knockout queen as well. So that's another one I would recommend. Well, Aaron, Adora, thank you both so much for reading the whole ass book and hanging out <laughs> to talk with me about it. This was really a pleasure. Thank you for inviting us to read the book. It was very fun to read. I'm officially part of the Nerdette crew. Yes. For real. Yeah, I do feel like a special new closeness oh, <laughs> to Nerdette. I love that. <laughs> well, Aaron, next time we'll do some shit with fairies, okay? Mm. Okay. <laughs> special request. Thank you. <laughs> All right, that's it for this month. Thank you as always for reading and listening along. Extra special bonus thanks to Becky, Lindsay, Bethany, Allie, and Sam for calling in with your wonderful opinions. It was really fun to hear from all of you as always. I also have a very exciting announcement about our May book club pick. We are doing A Table for Two, which is a short story collection that is coming out from Amor Tolls. That means we have the next three months of books chosen. So I'm going to run through them right now so that you can be up to date. In March, we are reading Martyr by Kaveh Akbar. In April, we are reading Beautyland by Marie Helene Bertino. And as I just said, in May, we are reading A Table for Two by Amor Tolls. So get on those wait lists and it is never too early to send in your voicemails. So if you're already reading one of those books, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ in Chicago and is part of the NPR network. And our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.